Gospel according to St. Luke from the 12th chapter. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The Gospel of the Lord. Two weeks ago, I connected the Sunday scripture readings with an image of a crucified Jesus who bore the marks of a terrible plague on his body. It was the artist's attempt to show victims of that same plague that Jesus was fully identified with them in their suffering and even in their death. That caused me to think about other images of Jesus that artists have given us over the years. To begin with, the ones that came to my mind were of stories in the Bible where Jesus welcomes children or others graciously, where he reaches out in compassion to heal the sick or even from the cross to heal us, or when Jesus simply looks at us with affirmation. But what about the Jesus that we meet in this gospel story this morning? What about the Jesus who says, I have come to bring fire to the earth, and I wish that it were already kindled? What about the Jesus that says, do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. If you were the artist, how would you portray this Jesus? Would you try to put anger in his face? Would you try to portray him as a fierce warrior, as many have done over the years? Would you try to capture the intensity of his emotion when he says that he is under great stress? Or 
would you try to show the deep passion for God's justice that drove Jesus to say things like this? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard because most of us struggle with Jesus' words themselves, and we wonder just what to read into them. In one way of hearing these words of Jesus, it sounds like he's reinforcing one of the most troubling aspects of life in these modern times. In our own country, this election cycle has exposed deep divisions again within us, even within the ranks of our own political parties. And add to that the transparent agenda of some candidates to exploit those divisions in ways that sow seeds of fear and suspicion. Is Jesus really saying that this too is his agenda? Is he really saying that the goal of his ministry is to pit us against each other in that same way? Or is Jesus describing what people will experience when they renounce that dark world of fear and suspicion and join his radical movement? Is Jesus giving them fair warning of what will happen to them if they dare to stand over against that kind of divisiveness in order to live in the new kingdom that he is bringing? Is he painting his own picture for them of what they can expect when their own passion for God's justice and peace leads them to follow him. As you can imagine, I think all of those latter things are true. Read through all the Gospels, and you'll never see a Jesus who desires division among people. What you'll see instead is a Jesus who is committed to revolutionary change, even if it brings inevitable conflict. And so in story after story, the conflict is there throughout the Gospels because no one with power and privilege and wealth wants to give it up without a fight. No one who benefits from injustice wants to see it overturned. And no one who is complacent wants to have their calm world disrupted by the call to change the way they see and think and speak and act. From the first time he opened his mouth to preach in his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus experienced this firsthand. When he laid out his agenda, which included justice for the poor and the end of systemic oppression, the crowd tried to throw him off a cliff. Perhaps they thought that was way too political for a Saturday sermon. But the fire of God's justice that burned in Jesus could not be suppressed. And that's the same fire that I hear him speaking about in our gospel today. I came to bring fire to the earth, Jesus says, and how I wish that it were already kindled. We can't be sure how this was understood by his Jewish audience, but we know that they were used to hearing prophets speak about a fire that God would bring, especially a cleansing fire that would burn away evil 
and leave only the good. Malachi was one of those prophets who perhaps said it best when he announced that God's new messenger would be like a refiner's fire, a fire that would purify God's people, refine them like gold and silver. And what needed to be burned away? Malachi first described the evils of sorcery and adultery, but then he went straight to the most grievous sins. Speaking for God, the prophet said, Then I will draw near to you for judgment against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow, the orphan, against those who thrust aside the alien and do not fear me. It's a theme throughout Hebrew scripture, and now Jesus carries it forth into his own time. In short, it's the divine mandate to care for the most vulnerable people in every time and place. And it starts, of course, with God setting the example. When God sees the suffering of vulnerable slaves in Egypt and reaches out to save them and to bless them. And then God gives those same people Torah, the gift of a new way of life with one another, a way of life where everyone is cared for in that same way, where everyone has enough and no one has too much. A way of life where the value and the dignity of every child of God is cherished and protected. In the poetic language of our first reading today, the prophet Isaiah compares this to the gift of a vineyard planted by God on a fertile hill the hope and desire of God, of course, in giving this way of life was that the vineyard would produce sweet and nourishing grapes. But the results, says Isaiah, were anything but that. To God's great dismay, the vineyard yielded wild grapes, which were useless. What was expected was justice and righteousness, but the vineyard produced bloodshed and misery. And throughout the Old Testament, sin like this does not go unnoticed by God. And it does not go unnoticed by Jesus. He too sees the evil of sorcery and of adultery. But the fire that Jesus really wants to kindle is the fire that will burn away the injustice and the oppression that preserve and protect the privileged while many of God's most vulnerable people don't have enough, enough food, enough shelter, enough protection, enough rights, enough power to do anything about that. Jesus sees this injustice from the very beginning of his ministry. He sees it with exceptional clarity. And he marvels at the fact that so many around him fail to see it at all, people in his own religious community. You hypocrites, he says. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present time. When I hear him say that, 
it is very easy to imagine that Jesus is also speaking to us. After all, we're in the midst of an election cycle where no one has demonstrated any ability to predict what is going to happen and what we are going to see next. Even the most experienced, astute political analysts have been wrong time and time again, and they have often been the first ones to admit it. I will say, however, <clears throat> that some candidates have helped us see the realities of injustice and systemic oppression of vulnerable people in a much clearer light. Who knew, for example, that an astounding number of voters in the United States would, would resonate with a call to thrust aside the alien, as my, my, Malachi says, with a kind of renewed fear and animosity. But now we've come to a place in the campaigns where neither candidate and neither party seems to be shedding any light on the harsh realities of abject poverty and hunger and homelessness that still exist, that still burden millions of people, vulnerable people in this wealthiest country on earth. I'm old enough to have voted in many elections, and I can't remember a time when the plight of the poorest among us has not even been mentioned in major speeches on the economy or on candidates' websites. Maybe it's a time for a new fire to be kindled in our land and in us. Could it cause division? Of course it could but not the kind of division that leaves us battered and broken. The division that Jesus speaks of in our gospel today is the division that accompanies the coming of a new kingdom, a kingdom where life is transformed for everyone, a kingdom where all do have enough and no one has too much, and where the value and the dignity of every child of God is cherished and protected. No wonder Isaiah calls those stern, demanding words of God a love song, <laughs> a love song for my beloved. And no wonder we still hear texts like this one today from Luke and say not only the gospel of the Lord, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for the truth that frees us and for the love of God that still burns like a refiner's fire, burning away the evil and leaving only the good that is in you and in me and in all of God's people. <clears throat>